Good morning. So yesterday indeed was a, uh, a sweet day, and uh, when the announcement was made that Coleman counted, I thought they were going to say that Coleman Brooks counted and he ate 200 cookies, that it was that good of a day. I think Coleman Brooks could eat 200 cookies. Um, so um, we are in a study of the Gospel of John. We've been in the eighth chapter. We took a break because uh, Peggy and I were gone for Thanksgiving. But we're back, and this week we'll, um, we'll finish the eighth chapter, which you just heard Tyler read. And so let me begin by uh, <clears throat> saying that for Thanksgiving, some of y'all know this, but Peggy and I celebrated our Thanksgiving break in D.C., our oldest daughter is in her last year of college there. And our, and our son, who's actually the oldest in birth order, has never even been up there since she's been there. They're both in their last year of school. And then our youngest daughter rode up with us to D.C. And it was really, uh, you know, for those of us that have been to D.C., you know, there's a lot to do there. A lot of entertainment, a lot of free entertainment. And one of the things I, I uh, probably now seven or eight years ago read a biography on Abraham Lincoln. And so I told the kids and Peggy, I really want to go to the Ford's Theater and the Peterson House. Now, the Ford's Theater is where John Wilkes Booth snuck in behind Abraham Lincoln and fired around into his skull ultimately killing him the next morning. The doctors that were there revived him at the theater, and they took him across the street to the Peterson house where he lay in a back bedroom, and on 7-22, April 15th of 1865, he passed from this life into eternity. I only made it even partway through my intro before taking off my jacket. I'm warm today. Um, as I stood there in the bedroom, the bedroom, where Abraham Lincoln's soul left his body and passed into eternity, I recognized, I did a little math, it had been 55,848 days and six hours from that time. It was surreal for me to be there in the very spot where such a historic person passed from this life to the next. I don't think my kids shared the same enthusiasm as y'all know how that works. Um, but I've also noticed that in our passage today, well, before I get to that, let me say this. In 2018 alone, there have been so many famous people, plus people that I'm sure we know, that have passed from this life to the next. A few of the famous, even just in the last couple of days, George H.W. Bush just recently died, and I'm sure many of you saw that in the news. Um, Kate Spade, my children had to help me with this one, a fashion designer, only 55 years old. John McCain, senator, presidential candidate. 
Burt Reynolds, actor, Aretha Franklin, famous songwriter, queen of soul, Paul Allen, co-founder of Microsoft, Neil Simon, famous playwright, Barbara Bush, Stephen Hawking, scientist, author, atheist. All of these people died, and ultimately, all of us will die. Death is the great leveler. It doesn't matter how glorious your career, you die in the end. Our text today, Jesus is saying something very different. So I want you to look with me in your Bibles at John 8, verse 51, and see what Jesus is saying right here. He says in John 8, 51, the words of Jesus himself, truly, truly. So when Jesus says truly, truly, he's saying, listen up. This is really important. I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, I just opened up saying, Abraham Lincoln died, this list of famous people died, and then Jesus says, he's contradicting me here, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So, if you're here this morning, I believe that perhaps God has you here for maybe one of two significant reasons. One of them would be so that God can tell you personally, you never have to die. Now, I'm going to explain that further, but I want you to know that. You never have to die. And then the second thing is, I also believe that God has some of us here, and he wants to set us free from a nagging, probably unconscious slavery to the fear of an oncoming death. Because we know, even though I say, and Jesus says, you never have to die, we know there's something else, and we're going to talk about that, about the body's death. Look with me again in your Bibles at John 8, 48. In John 8, 48, it says this. The, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Now, keep in mind, y'all, this is Jesus himself the Lord of the universe, and these Jewish leaders are saying, you're a Samaritan, and I think you have a demon. So, at its core, this is a racial slur. Think about it. He is Jew. He's a Jew. And they're saying the people that they hate the most are the Samaritans. They're saying, you're a Samaritan. So if you're a minority or any one of us that has ever been on the other side of a racial slur, 
know that Jesus himself experienced very similar treatment. He was being accused of something that was really not true. They're saying, you're a half-breed. And then on top of that, you've got a demon. God, I think, allows them to enter into this conversation with him because he wants us and all that have read these scriptures to hear him proclaim exactly who he really is. Look at how he answers them again in your Bibles at John 8, 49 through 51. This is what Jesus answered and said, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. And so, in effect, Jesus is saying, I don't need to defend myself because my Father will defend me. In other words, you dishonor me instead of glorifying me like you should. God will have his vengeance. If you oppose me, you oppose the one who is committed to honoring me. In other words, you oppose God himself. James 4, 6. Look with me at this. I think I have it on the screen, but you can also turn in your Bibles in James 4, 6. He says... Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Our pride puts us in a horrible place. It makes God himself oppose us. I remember there was a guy that I went to college with that I think just in general, all of my friends would say, that's the most prideful person I've ever met. And then one of the guys told me, he said, you know, he asked me to go to lunch with him the other day and I told him no. I said, why'd you tell him no? He said, man, he's so prideful. I think God's gonna strike him dead at any moment and I don't wanna be near him. I don't want to find myself in circumstances where God himself is opposing me. But you know what? This isn't just to the elite Jewish leaders. I believe there's a word here for even us as Christians. When we, and here's, here's where I see pride in myself and I also see pride in us. When we defend our rights, or we hold on to a grudge, you can be 100% sure God is opposed to that. And so, let's say, you know, Peggy and I are in an argument, and I know, at least in my finite mind, I know I'm right. 
And I keep arguing my point because I'm right. And I don't know if you've ever done this with your spouse. Probably not. Y'all are better than us. But I keep hanging on to that point because I know I'm right. I can just rest assured. Whether I'm right or not, at that point with God really doesn't matter. The question is, am I holy? Am I being like Christ? You see, you can be right and be ungodly. And it happens all the time. And so I have found myself arguing that I'm right on something. And y'all have been with that married couple who is having that little argument and you're going, there goes the married thing. I've done that, argued my case. She has surrendered. And later I found out I was wrong. That stinks. When we have to be right in a conversation, we're wrong. You don't have to be right, even if you are right. When we try to make a name for ourselves in a conversation, you ever been around somebody who is struggling with maybe their own worth and value, and it seems like they have to tell you all the time who their important friend is, and they show you pictures of themselves with a celebrity, and they're always name-dropping You don't have to do that. You are, if you are, you're a child of the king. What could be more important? God is opposed to that. When we gossip, God is opposed to that. God hates gossip. When we complain, when we're complaining, you know what we're really saying? God, I don't like the way you run my world. That's really what it is. And it's, and it's pride. How about this one? When we ignore time alone with God, when we ignore reading his precious word, that's pride. Because we're saying Even though the God of the universe has given me his precious word, I don't need that. I don't need that. I can do this life on my own. When we don't pray, it's pride. It's pride. We are being opposed by God because I'm saying, if it's me, Lord, I I can raise my family without you. Lord, I can build your church without you. I can see that person come to saving faith because I know how to share the gospel. I don't need your power. I don't need your Holy Spirit. It's pride. It's pride. God is opposed to the proud. But 1 Peter 5, 6 says this. Humble yourselves. First, he says, Humble yourselves, and then under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. Humble yourselves so that he may exalt you. You don't have to exalt yourself. My father used to always say, 
truly big people, what he meant was truly great people. And he'd say, live in silence. He'd say, son, don't ever tell people how good you are. If you're really good, people will say it for you. God will do it for you. Humble yourself. And then let's look back at John 8, 51, where Jesus says this again. He says, I want to drill down on this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. And so the obvious question growing out of this text is, so do Christians never die? Maybe last week, maybe next week, you'll be at a funeral of one of your friends, and maybe it won't be in a week, it'll be a few weeks. And you'll be sitting there, and this question is, are they dead? If they were truly a follower of Christ, the answer is, they are not dead. Jesus says, they are not dead. Now, you may have been with them in the hospital three days before, and their body was alive and they were talking. And now you're at the funeral, and they're laying down here, and they're clearly not alive and talking. So what is Jesus saying? They're not dead. He's saying that indeed our bodies do die, but our souls live on in eternity. Look with me at John eleven, twenty-five through 26. It's Jesus is talking here to Martha about her brother, Lazarus. And in John eleven twenty-five and 26, this is what he says. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So he says, he's saying here to Martha at Lazarus' grave, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Though he die, he never dies. Sounds kind of crazy. Though he dies, he never dies. Yes, physically, we do die. But no, spiritually, we do not die. John 5, 24 may even say it better than that. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Believers on Jesus have passed from death to life. They now, if you are a follower of Christ and you are sitting here, the good news and the truth of the scripture is you already, already have eternal life. 
Eternal life cannot, cannot by definition end. It's eternal. And if you are a follower of his, sitting here today, in one sense, you will never taste death. What that means is when we're born again, when we are born again, like in John 3, what Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. When we are, we are infused with spiritual life. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God makes us alive in Christ. This new life is eternal. We're able to fellowship with God. We're able to know God. We're able to experience God. We're able to speak with God. We're able to hear from God, sense the love of God in our hearts. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is true for every true follower of Christ. Now, I want to look at the bigger section of this scripture in John 8, 52 through 57. And we're going to see the dialogue that goes back and forth between the Jewish leaders and Jesus. 52 through 57. The Jews said to him, now we know, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than Abraham, our father who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? You ever been in a situation where someone's talking very arrogantly and you're sitting there and maybe, maybe if you're older and you've lived through a lot more and this person's 25 or 26 and they're telling you about how life is and you're sitting there going, <laughs> you have no idea. I got to believe that at this moment they're going, because it says it this way, who do you make yourself out to be, dude? You, you talk like you're God. Well, we know the real answer there. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. Big people live in silence. Of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. Can you imagine hearing that? I mean, he's really calling them out. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Now this is where the commentators are all over the road like a drunk driver. He saw it, talking about Abraham, he saw it and was glad, talking about Jesus' day. It's like, uh-oh, now we got something to work with. How do we explain this one? Abraham lived way back here. How did he see Jesus' day and exalt in that? I'm going to try to answer that. It may leave you wanting. And then they say, so Jesus said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. 
And have you seen Abraham? So they say, who do you think you are, Jesus? And then to get back to this idea of Jesus says, Abraham saw it and rejoiced. So as I, in the study, read, I probably read six or seven different theologians on this point. And honestly, they ranged all over the place. And I wasn't satisfied with any of them except for this. The next thing that Jesus says, he almost doesn't even bother with their question about 50 years and how did he see you? He goes straight to this. And I think this is the answer to their question. John 8, 58. Listen, listen to what Jesus says in John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, here we go again, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, and then look in your Bible, what does he say? I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, where else have we heard that phrase? In the Old Testament, when God would say to Moses, I am. When they ask who sent you, tell them, I am sent you. When these Jewish leaders are asking who sent you? Who are you? Now, if he, if he just wanted to talk about pre-existence, he could have said, before Abraham was, I was. But that isn't what he said. He said, before Abraham, I am. And I want you to know, they knew what he was saying. Right there couple of them are picking up rocks. Because if you read the very next verse, that's exactly what they do. Because what you do with someone who is a blasphemer, someone who says they are God when they're not, from Leviticus, is you stone them. And that's exactly how chapter 8 ends. Is they're picking up rocks to stone him. Because they've concluded, this is not him. But the reality is, it says, Jesus snuck away because we know his time had not yet come. He wouldn't be stoned at that moment. But in our whole, the whole gospel of John, this is the most straightforward, the clearest you're going to see of Jesus saying, I am God. I am him. And this is the problem for, for the world that we live in. We can, we can, in our minds, we can jump to evolution and we can jump to, you know, we're all here by chance. There was this massive big bang. And from that, out of all of this, there was no creator. You can make that great leap of faith that we're just here out of some random chance. And when we die... We're just annihilated. And that's it. And that's very convenient. And recently when I was sharing the story of Christ with a non-believer, he said he was an atheist. 
he told me that's what he believed. When we die, we're just annihilated. And that's a very convenient belief. And in the West, that sounds nice. But you know, if you grew up maybe in the Middle East and some radical Muslim perhaps had raped your mother and killed your brothers and sisters, annihilation wouldn't be as nice to you. It wouldn't be as just for you. It wouldn't be as fair. You know, to think that Adolf Hitler, if I was Jewish, is just going to get annihilated after he dies, that's not justice. So annihilation is much more of a Western idea that we don't suffer eternally in a place called hell. We're just annihilated. But that doesn't help when you've experienced some of the horrors that go on in our world. The glorious truth, the glorious truth of our text, and I want you to hear this. If you know the Lord, I want you to please hear this. If Jesus indeed is God, when he says you will never see death, you will never die. Oh, sure, your body will die. But your soul will never die. And you know what happens to your soul when your body dies and you're a Christian? Immediately, you are in heaven with God. If Jesus is indeed God, then the greatest reality in all the world is that God is a loving, personal God and he left his throne almost like coming down and submitted himself to be some sort of tadpole, some lower form of life and existence so that he could save us. That's love. If Jesus is indeed God and you have trusted him for eternal life, he has the power and the love to declare you righteous for all eternity, to forgive all your sins. See, Christianity is not just about making you feel better about yourself. You have a real problem and I have a real problem and it's sin. And our sin separates us from God for all eternity. And my only hope and your only hope is that Jesus is really who he said he was. And he lived a perfect life and he died a perfect death in your place. Because then you can trust him to forgive you of your sins. The glorious truth of this text is if Jesus indeed is God, when you die, you will not die. You will immediately be with him. And to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. Now, in my study, I had at least one more question that was kind of troublesome. And I had a hard time figuring it out, quite frankly. To me, it's pretty clear in the Bible what happens to the soul 
of the person who's a Christian, when they die, what happens? And I've already said it. Immediately, you go to be with God in heaven. Now, there is, though, a time when there will be a last judgment. Our bodies, resurrected bodies, will be raised up. We will go before the judgment. And after that, we will live soul in a new body for all eternity, spiritually and physically. God is going to make, based on the scripture, everything like it should have been before sin entered the world. So you're sitting here right now, or maybe you're standing here like me, and I stepped back on my right foot, and my right knee said, man, you need to get that meniscus fixed. Right there. And I almost cringed in front of you. And you're sitting here, and you're aging. And you know, it's just a matter of time. We're not getting out of this thing alive. God is going to do something unbelievable. He's going to make it right. He's going to not just save your soul. He's going to give you a resurrected body. And everything I can understand from the scripture, it is a youthful, strong, mature body that will never age. That's what the Bible teaches. And so sometimes when we are aging and in pain, I think maybe one of the greatest things we can do is to meditate on the truths of the Bible and what is to come. Because then there comes hope. And almost like they lit the candle today, I was so hoping that that, light, that candle would actually light because there was a moment where it looked like the candle of hope wasn't going to come on. <laughs> and we need hope. And God gives hope. But if I go back, and this is the closing, to what happens to the person that never believes after death. Daniel, and you don't have to turn there. You probably wouldn't find it in time. Daniel 12, 1 and 2 gives us a glimpse at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, Michael the angel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, the book of life. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Everlasting. Some of us will spend eternity in heaven forever and ever and ever. Some of us will spend eternity in a place called hell forever and ever and ever. The Bible calls that a second death because as I understand death in the Bible, if you think about Ephesians 2, 1, you're dead in your transgressions and sins. Death spiritually is not necessarily like death physically. Death spiritually, I hope you catch this, 
is separation from God. Because think about it. That being separated from your creator, being separated from everything that is good, everything that is true, everything that is right, everything that is beautiful, everything that is lovely, what else could that be but death? But the problem with this death is it's eternal. It's eternal. That's the message of the Bible. That is the message of the Bible. And in Revelations 20, 14, it says, Then death and Hades, or hell, will be thrown into the lake of fire. This is after the judgment, at the end of time. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So what I'm saying is this. Even death, because death is the last enemy in this life, even death will be thrown away. And we, as his children, will live in glory forever with him. That's not a fairy tale. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. And you know, when we stand on the shores of eternity, I gotta believe we're gonna see loved ones they're going to run and they're going to grab us and they're going to hug our neck and we're going to smile and we're going to laugh and we're going to know it was all true. It was all true. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that we don't have to go about this life wandering in darkness, but that you have opened our eyes. And Lord, for those of us here that maybe that's not true, would you open their heart to you that they may spend all eternity in your presence. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.